Very good morning to online and to Alma and to Mount Pleasant. It's great to be together. Uh, all my life, I have loved uh, football. And by that, I mean uh, international soccer, and I mean the Premiership and the European Cup, and I've watched it and played it all my life, and I just love it. There's a moment that happens. It's a rare moment every now and again in a football game, in a soccer game, where in the last maybe, maybe 15 minutes, things are not going so well, and the manager calls off a particular player and puts on a different player, a substitute. And uh, it's one of my favorite moments because it's so dramatic, uh, particularly when the player that he pulls off happens to be like top echelon, world-class player. Because those guys tend to be insanely competitive and they hate being taken off. I mean, they hate it. Uh, they want all 90 minutes, and if there's any overtime, they want that as well. They are so competitive and so driven, they want to be the one to make the difference. They want to be the one to get that ball and stick it in the back of the net and to win the day. And when the manager says, you know, your number's up, off you come, and they look, and you see this look on their face like, you've got to be kidding me, and they walk off, and of course there's a whole stadium, and if it's live on the telly, everyone's watching it, and uh, they recognize in that moment what the manager is saying is, you are the weak link in this game, and I'm going to replace you with someone stronger. And my favorite bit is when they throw a tantrum. So the poor mega sports star who gets paid 20, 30 million dollars a year, wah, 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 comes, and you see he's like melting off at the manager, and he's kicking water bottles, and he's throwing a tantrum, and sometimes they don't even sit on the bench, and we're on the TV going, oh, isn't this great? These are my favorite little moments. Here's my crazy question. Crazy, crazy question. What would happen if somebody from the stands said, I'll take his place. Send me in. I I've been watching the game. I'm ready. I think this is my moment. I think I'm good if you want to. I've been in the stands for years, but I'm ready. Now, I know that's a crazy, crazy thing to say because there are two kinds of people at any sporting event. There are the players and there are the spectators. And that's about it. The game is in the hands of the players. The game is not in the hands of the spectators. The skills that matter are the players' skills, right? They're the ones who get the, the, the incredible training and they are incredibly athletic and so skillful and they know the strategy and they've got all of that figured out. And the spectators, they just watch. The spectators' talents don't really matter at all. Nothing hinges on the spectators. No one ever says, one of these days you're going to grow up and you're going to be a great spectator. <laughs> Nobody says that. Now, imagine just for a moment, whether it's the Aviva Stadium in Dublin, you've got to go there sometime, whether it's Ford Field in Detroit, whether it's the big house in Ann Arbor, or whether it's the stadium right here uh, in uh, Mount Pleasant, the CMU Stadium, Imagine if that one spectator, I know this is crazy, but imagine if that one spectator said, I'll go in, put me in, I'll be the substitute. Imagine if all of his friends turned around and said, you know what, that's kind of a good idea. I think, we, I think we're going to do that too. And imagine if en masse, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of spectators said, we're not going to be spectators anymore, we're going to be players, we're going to get in the game, we're going to make a difference that would be simply what is known as 
a paradigm shift. That's not the rules. That's not how it is. There is in the church, generation after generation after generation, a fundamental and tragic misperception of the people of God. And it is what I would simply describe as us and them. This mentality that gets into the minds of so many people that the people of God get divided up into two categories, players and spectators. One of them would be known as clergy, a bit of an old-fashioned word, maybe a priest or, ba- or maybe a minister. Hi, that's me. The other group of people, again, a bit of an old-fashioned term, but has been commonly known for many, many years as lay people, spectators, spectators and players. But can I say to you today that that is not the will of God for the people of God? It just isn't. Every once in a while, somebody wakes up and says, I'm leaving the stands. I'm going to go down into the field, and I'm going to get into the game. And that's exactly what happens in Exodus chapter 18. We bump into this fellow by the name of Jethro. He's actually Moses' father-in-law. Look what happens. The next day, Moses took a seat to serve as judge for the people. They stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for his people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? while all these people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. And then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, And Jethro returns to his own country. This is the beginning of God teaching his people about a release of ministry in their lives that would characterize their lives in God. Now, that's a general statement. Allow me to make it more directed. Today, for many of you today, will be the beginning of God's teaching into your life about a release of ministry from you that is to characterize your life as it is found in Jesus Christ. And what I've just said is normal Christianity. What I've just said 
a release of ministry from you, specifically you, as a characterization of your walk with Jesus Christ is absolutely typical for anyone who calls themselves a follower of God. People who decide, I am no longer about to stand as a spectator in the stands. I'm getting out of the stands, into the field, and into the game. I want to serve you, God. So today I want to ask you four questions. Question number one is this. Do you perceive yourself as a minister of Christ? Do you think about yourself that way? I actually mentioned this last week, but I, I grew up going to Mass. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I was an altar boy, and I was a choir boy for many, many years, a whole lot of years. And uh, I also went to Catholic school, and so we would have priests teaching some of our subjects, and sometimes we'd have monks coming into school, and we'd have confession in school and things like that. And if you had asked me all those years ago when I was a little boy or even a young lad as, as a teenager, you know, do I perceive myself like one of those people? Did I, would I have looked at myself as one of those men that I knew and was an altar boy with and a choir boy with? I would have said, heck no, I don't think that I'm like that at all. In fact, those individuals in my life, they were lovely men, but I can remember being kind of like a little bit intimidated by them. Um, and the clothes they wore and the way they talked, I was like, is that me? And I would have said to you, no. I don't look like that, and I don't talk like that. That's nothing like me at all. I don't think I'm like that really much at all. In fact, had I seen a man like that, particularly as a child, coming towards me, I probably would have veered to the left and maybe dodged that person a little bit. I would never have perceived myself like that. This challenge is a fundamental new way for the people of God to perceive themselves. This challenge is a fundamental new way for you to perceive yourself actually as a minister of Jesus Christ. For about 400 years for these Hebrew slaves, the org chart was very, very simple. And it was this. Here's all of us at the bottom. We're nobody pawns. We're Hebrew slaves. And there's really just one guy that heads up the org chart, and that's Pharaoh. How easy it was for them to now move into the wilderness and say, well, it's just all of us little pawns wandering through the desert again. And Who's on top of the org chart now? Well, we know it's not Pharaoh. It must be Moses. And God says, wait a second. You're thinking like slaves. That's not how I want you to think. Look at verse 14. Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you? That's called you the man Christianity. <laughs> right? Moses is the main man. He's the guy. He's the only one. And we'll be the spectators. You're the player on the field with the special skills. We'll watch you do whatever magical thing that you can do. And you're, you hear from God. You speak God's voice. You're his mouthpiece. In fact, you can be that for us all day and all night long. And we'll just stand here in awe of you doing those things. You're the only one wise enough to lead us and teach us and guide us and direct us and shepherd us. And we'll just be the pawns. You get into the New Testament, and you bump into very interesting language that really complements Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. It really complements his language. I want you to listen to what God would say about you. God says this, I choose every single one of my people, 
every son and daughter adopted into my family, and here's the language we find in the New Testament, to be priests and prophets and kings. How's that for a job title? Not too fancy. You just got promoted this morning. Every one of you, priests, prophets, and kings. These titles in the Old Testament that were typically reserved for unique tribes or select individuals that it appeared that God had his hand upon their life, we get to the New Testament and God seems to open up the floodgates and he says, no, every one of my followers, you are a priest, you are a priest, you are a king, you are a queen, you are a prophet, every one of you. Do you perceive yourself as a minister of Christ? Or even as I say that, are you going, I'm no king. I'm no prophet. I'm certainly not a priest. Joel prophecies about this on the day. He's, Joel is an Old Testament prophet. He's prophesying about a New Testament day called the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. Look at what he says in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2. I will pour out my spirit on, on who? I'll pour out my spirit on all people. This is a prophecy about a day that is to come. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Now, permission to lead apparently has far less to do with your special skills, and it has a whole lot. In fact, it has everything to do with the fact that you are endued and empowered with the person of the Holy Spirit. Peter quotes that exact verse that we just read from the Old Testament, and now it is in the New Testament because he quotes it in the book of Acts. He goes on further to describe us, the community of God, Alma, online, Mount Pleasant. He says, here's what you are together. You are a royal priesthood. Martin Luther in the 16th century, he goes on further and he looks at us and he says, I'll tell you what you are. You are now the priesthood of all believers. This is a description that's given to me and you. Whether you think of yourself as a player or whether you've spent a lifetime as a Christian spectator, God says over your life today, I choose you for work in the kingdom. I choose you for work in the kingdom. I have my hand upon you. I will fill you with a person of the Spirit and with the power of God over you so that you can play and not spectate. These Old Testament titles that we just looked at, they indicate God's mark on your life as something unique and special in His service and for His glory. He now states these exact titles over you. Priest, prophet, king, priest, prophet, king. Alma, priest, prophet, king. Everyone online, priest, prophet, king. He declares this over your life. My hand upon you, my spirit inside of you for the work of my kingdom and for my glory. There's no age limit to this at all. Moses was he being used by God in this scene? Moses was 80 plus years of age. Anyone here getting close to 80? Anyone? Anyone here? There's no one at all putting their hands up. <laughs> That's a rude question, isn't it? Anyone here over 80? If you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. Who here is grateful for God's grace over your life? I am so thankful for His grace over my life. 
this fearsome force from God that delivers into my life and into my heart like his kindness and care and forgiveness, the heart of a father towards like a train wreck like me. So now I am the recipient of this grace. Who am I? Well, because of that, here's what I would say. Now I am a vital divine channel of that grace to somebody else. There's no way I get to say, thank you, God. Let me put a cork in it, bottle it up, and I just keep it for myself. Who am I? I am a divine channel of that same grace into the life of other people who need it. Other train wrecks just like me. That's the game. That's what we're called to play. Do you perceive yourself as a minister of Christ? This might be a whole new self-awareness for you today. Question number two. Have I gotten in the game yet? So are you actively serving God in your life? Are you deliberately, proactively, consistently pouring your life as God's vital channel of grace? Are you serving God even in the context of community church? Are you serving God where you live, in your home, as a mom or a dad, as a son or a daughter, as a grandparent? Are you serving God? Are you serving God uh, at the office or at work or in Meyer or with your neighbors? Everywhere you go, this opportunity to serve God, to be a vital channel of His grace. There are two categories of churches that I've noticed. There are pastor-centered churches, and then there are people-centered churches. In the pastor-centered churches, the pastors really are the only ones who get to do the real ministry. They're the special ones. They're on top of the org chart. They're the only ones who are allowed to teach and to guide and to love and to counsel and to shepherd and to visit and to pour out and to give to. And then the people simply look at that from a distance and go, keep going. Good job. Maybe they just watch. I want you to hear the story of a family in our church who originally began attending in the Mount Pleasant campus. And it's my understanding that they really had no church background in their life really at all. And then very quickly they heard that we were planting an amazing church campus in Alma and they said, man, we're all in. And they just rolled up their sleeves. Watch the outpouring of serving God in their lives. Check it out. We're the Lombards. I'm Jamie, my husband Rex, Becca Jr., and then Becca's boyfriend Deegan. Uh, we first came to Community Church in Mount Pleasant at the one Mount Pleasant campus. And it was then 2018, I think. 2018, yeah. Well, yeah, Chad was the first one that took us here, and his words were, just try it three times. Just come three times if you don't like it. And I came once, and I was ready to come back. No, uh, when we heard about the Alma campus opening up, that was something that we were right on board with. You know, we met Aaron when we went to the advance with him and stuff like that, and we were pretty much, yep, let's go. We like it there. This feels where we need to go. We knew that's where we had to be. That's where we wanted to be. Yep. It was just something, you know, not here long, but it was something that we wanted to do, something, some place that we wanted to Almost go. Almost like and a it calling, was, saying it's, you're, yeah. it's where you guys need to be. It's where I want you to be. There was no, no we, hesitation no, we at decided all. To, we wanted to jump right in and help out anything we can do, any... Mm -hmm. Anywhere, any, any place that they needed down here, we were there to do it. Okay, so every Sunday we come in and we serve as a family. On the um, setup team. On the, on the setup team as a family. And uh, these guys like set up the pipe and drape and stuff like that. For the uh, normally on Sunday she'll come in and set up the info center and the 
the signs out in the in the lobby, and then me and Junior and Becca will do the pipe and drape for the kid life, and then Deegan's here, he helps out with whatever, and do outdoor signs and help out where it's needed. So, you know, we work together as a team to get it done. We find ourselves sometimes coming in on our day off just because well, we got nothing else to do, so we might as well go in and help out. And you, you see people that you know, you get to, you get to know them and yeah, make family. relationships with them, yeah. become, become friends with them. Yeah. Makes it nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's nice coming in and seeing people that you, that, you, that you see every Sunday. Like, they make you feel like you're a part of the church. When you come here and serve and, and help, it's, you know, like you're a part of a family. Um, well, I would encourage someone who wants to come and set up, you know, just come try it once. You can always, you know, if you don't like it, it's not for you, it's not for you. But come and try it, give it a chance, you know. Some some people don't know what they're missing until they're actually there and actually with with us and learning, doing what we're doing and, you know. Or just, or, or just go shadow one time, just to, I mean, no, you don't have to jump step right out, in. yeah, jump in and do it. Just you'll go shadow someone that you might have an interest in. And then you can tell if I like it or I don't like it or... Yeah, just get out and make the connections, make the friends, make the family. It's, you know, that's community church. We're together on purpose. If you're unsure, just come try it and see if it's something that's, that's for you and you might be surprised. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> <laughs>
and you pour yourself out, and somehow, in the midst of all that, you find God doing something in you that probably would never take place had you not gotten out of the stance. Now, I'm going to get 100% honest with you, and I'm going to say something specifically that would be very untypical of me to say, but it seemed right with me, and I believe it seemed right with the Spirit of God, and so I'm going to say this. Since COVID, we reopened our doors. Now, that's months and months and months ago. And when we did, as a church, we tried our very best to have all of the wonderful ministries that are just a part of this church. Um, things that you would probably go, oh, I'm, I'm very familiar with that. So things like um, looking after the babies and kid life for the elementary school kids and Bridge 56 for the fifth and sixth graders and then uh, hospitality, people greeting at their oars and, and people working, getting the cars in here. And we have a security team called a crisis response team that keep the place safe and we respond to any crisis that happens or any health concerns. We have all of these kinds of ministries that take place. And then quite a while ago, we had Alma, as it had launched, had only been up and running 11 weeks, and then COVID just landed on our faces for all of us. And so we had a lot of sort of brand new fledgling teams of just servants of God who were beginning to be at work. But we, re we reopened the doors months and months and months ago. Can I just say this to you? All of the ministries are still taking place that we used to do, but I would say we have less than half of the servants engaged in those ministries to make them happen. Now, I typically would not say that. I typically would just button my mouth and let's keep going. But it felt right with the Spirit of God that I would actually say that particularly as we look at this text. Now, if you could not serve and you needed to remain at home, and you had concerns for your health, and you felt it wiser, if you understood, man, there's some frailty in my health, or I'm in a certain age bracket, then can I just say absolutely yes, 100%. I want you to feel good and right and comfortable about that decision for you. But what I'm saying is, biblically speaking, is the work of the kingdom of God that is taking place in these communities, does it need you? And I would say, as a pastor to you today, absolutely you are needed right now. We need servants to hold babies like we've never had before. We need men and women to come and teach eight-year-old children. We need individuals to say, sign me up. I'm happy to come and show up and set up and serve and stand at a door and put a smile on my face and welcome new people into the house of God. I'm happy to make coffee for people. I'm happy to bring cars through here. I'm happy to do a setup. I'm happy to grab a bass guitar or to get on a camera. I'm happy to do any of those things. And then can I say to those of you who have come over these last several months and have actually carried a tremendous amount of weight, actually more weight than you've probably ever known, I simply want to acknowledge you and I want to thank you at this moment because your contribution and your voice and your time and your sweat and your work has been critical at this juncture for the time today. Church, are you hearing the challenge from your pastor? That was a nice murmur. <laughs> Question number three, am I growing in ministry? In pastor-centered churches, there's only a small handful of people that are playing. Most others are actually, and here's the word, stagnant. Look at the 14th verse. We read it before, but I want to read it again. While all these people stand around you from morning till evening. You know what that is? Stagnancy. That's what that is. 
in people-centered churches, people are growing because we divide into smaller groups, just like in that passage it said, divide into thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. And we do that. And in people-centered churches, you find I actually know people and I'm loving people and I'm shepherding and I'm leading other people. Ministries that you get to roll up your sleeves and you get to give yourself into. That means that there will be problems that you have to solve. And you know what happens when you have to solve problems in Christ? You actually have to grow in Christ. Something happens in you when you face those kinds of things. Maybe some of you have been involved in service, but you recognize that at this moment, you're stagnant. So here's a few questions to help you understand, are you stagnant or not? Are you more or less motivated to serve in the body of Christ than you were a year ago? How does that feel inside of you? Am I able to serve more effectively than I did 12 months ago? What is my plan to develop the gifts that God has given to me in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God? Do I have somebody that's mentoring me in my life so that I can do that so effectively for His glory? That's a part of what was going on in Exodus chapter 18. Moses was to teach his people and instruct them to give them mentors for new leadership so that we would have new emerging leaders. Last question, question number four. Am I helping others to grow as ministers? So can I ask you, are you identifying people who are serving and affirming them and celebrating them, the giftedness that God has placed in them? Are you saying on a regular basis to those in the family of God, you the man, you the man, not just Moses, you the man, I see what you're doing. I want you to look around this community before you leave today. I want you to look around this community, particularly over the next few weeks as we head into September and we launch the autumn and all the ministry that will take place. And I want you to stop and I want you to find individuals who are working their tails off for Jesus Christ. And I want you to go up to them and I want you to say, thank you for serving Jesus. I want you to affirm them and encourage them and pray for them and lift them up and let them know that you see them and just encourage them as they walk with Jesus Christ. God is calling you out of the stance. Moses actually does what his father-in-law tells him to do. And this is the shift that Moses introduces. It's a remarkable thing. Because watch what happens. So often, people want to hold on to their little ministries because they actually feel that it makes them special. And that's the opposite of what God wants to accomplish in the family of God. This is my thing that I'm gifted to do. I don't want anyone else doing it. And I want to just to take us away from that. Watch Moses releasing ministry as he does this. Actually, in Numbers chapter 11, we get a, a, another account of this. Moses is appointing 70 different elders. He's just releasing ministry. The Spirit of God, it says in Numbers 11, comes on these 70 elders and they begin to prophesy. Now, up until this time, who was the only person that prophesied? Moses. He was the only one. He's the only one who spoke the words of God. Look at this in chapter 11. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they did not go out of the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and me, he's telling on them, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Have you ever had your children tell on another child with that? Joshua, we learned about him for the first time last week, sort of this understudy. Joshua, 
son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke of and said, Moses, Lord, stop them. They're not allowed to do that. Moses, you know that you're the only one who can do that. And they're taking the thing that you do. And if they do what you do, then Moses, you're not going to be, you know, number one. You're not going to be you the man, the special guy. So that can't be good. Now read between the lines here, church. Who happens to be Moses' successor? The very guy who's tattletaling and telling these guys to stop. So who's next to be in line to be the special guy? Look what Moses says to him. <laughs> Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? Caught you. Look at this, the beauty of his response. I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And then Joel goes ahead and he prophesies that very thing. And then the day of Pentecost comes and here we are today, men and women filled with the spirit of God. Moses says, you know, you think that this deal is just about you and me? The specialness of being number one? You got it wrong. I wish everybody, I wish every member of the body of Christ would just have the Spirit of God just poured over their life and that they would prophesy. Exactly what Joel said would happen is exactly what happens in the book of Acts. Am I helping other people to discover how they can be ministers in the body of Christ? That they have gifts that God has given them that should be poured out to bless and give glory to God. Some of you are leading small groups. Have at it. Some of you are leading small groups and, and you have been in a small group for years. And here's the thing. You are so primed to lead a small group, but you're not leading a small group because someone else is leading that small group. I want you to lovingly go and lead another small group because other people need to be discipled. Are you helping others grow as ministers? Let me wrap this up with a small comparison. I want to leave you with the heart of God, Jesus' heart for you, and I want to align it with the heart of this world for you. I want you to see the two differences, and I want you to apply them to your heart right now. What does the world say? Look at social media. Promote yourself. Elevate yourself. Indulge yourself. What does Jesus say? Deny yourself. The world says, if you want to be great, go ahead and brag about yourself. Elevate your own name. Jesus says, if you want to be great here at his church, serve other people. It's actually his definition of greatness is to be a servant. The world says, consume, consume, consume as much as you can. Jesus says, give, give, give. The world says, if somebody wrongs you, hate them. They speak ill of you. They treat you badly. You go ahead and hate them. Jesus says, if anybody wrongs you, I want you to love them. I want you to bless them. I want you to be an encouragement. Can you see the massive difference? The world says, pursue things. Go ahead and accum accumulate and hoard everything you can. And Jesus says, no, I want you to pursue God. The world says, live for now, this moment. Jesus says, I want you to live for eternity. The world says, pursue happiness. Go ahead and please yourself. Jesus says, pursue holiness, pursue that which lasts. The world says, if you want to find yourself, 
Indulge yourself. Give yourself every experience. Let nothing fall through your fingers. Get more, have more, do whatever you want. And Jesus says, if you want to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. Give yourself away. And when you do that, you will actually find yourself. Really practical. Really practical. I want to put a text number, if we could, up on the screen. Last week, we used this little text number uh, to bring in some prayer requests, and we just had hundreds of people do it. So I thought, we're on a bit of a roll here. So I want you to grab your phone right now, if you would, pull it out, and I want you to text the same number, 94000, but then I want you to write in the word, serve one. And you're just going to get this little link that comes into your phone that gives you an opportunity to say, this is how I'd like to serve. And I want you to actually, in this moment, if you would, go ahead and fill it out. So pull out your phone, if you would, and just text that. If there's anybody here and you need extra help, and it's no shame if you don't have, if you're, if you're pretty dumb with your smartphone, we have a piece of paper right here on uh, the seats in Alma and in Mount Pleasant. And if anybody needs any help filling this out or talking to anybody about anything, head out to info either at Alma or in Mount Pleasant, and we would gladly help you. Church, um, this is the call of God upon our hearts today. I would encourage you to come before the Lord and to ask the question, God, how can I serve you? Let's pray. Father, we refuse to be spiritual spectators. Father, we are spiritual contributors. And so we say thank you for the grace that you've poured into our lives. And now we are ready and poised to pour that same grace into somebody else today. Today we want to realign ourselves with the purposes of God and your calling over each of our lives. We want to get to heaven, God, completely spent. Nothing left, nothing in, in the tank, God, completely empty, leaving nothing behind. When we think of what you have given to us, Lord, we gladly give you back our time, our effort, our best thinking, our best work our sweat and our toil and our hearts, all for the sake of the gospel. Father, I pray for this church. May it never be said of this church that we cannot accomplish your purposes in this place because we cannot find servants and priests and prophets and kings. So, Father, today we commit our lives to the work of your kingdom. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. And together, out loud, the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful week.